So in this discussion, uh, we'll be focusing on why personalized learning is so important to, to student attainment. Uh, we'll be discussing strategies and initiatives for effectively implementing personalized learning, uh, including any potential challenges, um, and also how it can be aligned to the curriculum uh, and the positive outcomes that can be had from adopting personalized learning uh, into the classroom. So yeah, delighted to be joined by you all. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Uh, it'd be great to just do some uh, quick introductions of each of you. Uh, so yeah, Lucy, do you, want to, do you want to kick off with a quick introduction of yourself? Well, hi, my name is Lucy Willis. I am head of secondary at Raha International School in Abu Dhabi. But prior to this, I spent many years running actually at one point a personalized learning team at a school in Brazil, uh, special educational needs teams in a school in Japan. Um, and personalization and individualized learning is a great passion of mine. I'm currently in year two of my PhD, and my research topic is around authentic and equitable assessment practices. So that is also something that's very close to my heart. And um, I hope that we get into some good discussion about assessment during this conversation, because that's something that I think is really key to the ideas of personalization. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to my colleagues here and find out more. Thanks, Lucy. Kira, do you want to connect? Um, hi, guys. Uh, my name is Kira Gillespie. Um, I work at the Alice Smith School in KL. Um, I am Head of Achievement and Progression in the Sixth Form. Um, and as part of that role, I am Head of Academic Coaching, which is an incredibly personalised um, approach to supporting our students and to delivering intervention strategies. So again, it is something that is very close to my heart. Um, I too, like Lucy, am very excited about talking about... Um, how personalised learning could open up doors and assessment, how maybe current practices are acting as potential barriers, but the, the possibilities that exist within that as well. So I'm really excited about that too. Fantastic. Thanks, Kara. Gavin, do you want to go next? Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Gavin Azaro. I'm here in Lisbon, uh, a very chilly Lisbon. And um, uh, my background, I've... Uh, had a, a lot of schools over the past uh, 30 years, nearly internationally. Uh, and uh, my current role is deputy head for academics at the Lisbon International School here. Um, I'm intrigued by the whole topic of personalised learning. My, my last few schools have been really focused on personalised learning. And I think really for me, what I'm most interested in is, is the range of practices that make personalised learning impactful but also it's got to be manageable. Those those two sort of sometimes uh, are at cross purposes. So I'm looking forward to this uh, today's discussion. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Gavin. Brian, do you want to get Sure. Thanks, everybody. My name is Brian Oshiro. I am an education consultant uh, with Education Perfect, a New Zealand-based uh, learning platform. Uh, prior to that, I was a math and languages teacher, uh, not at the same time, both in China uh, and in Texas. And I'm excited to um, hear everybody's take on personalized learning today. Great to be here. Brilliant. Sal, do you want to get next? Hi everyone, uh, I'm Sal Gordon. I'm the Head of Teaching and Learning at Green School Bali in the jungles of Indonesia. Uh, we're um, working hard, having fun, uh, getting real in the jungle with a new model of school and a new model of education that's trying to redefine its purpose into making the world a better place. We're a community of learners making our world sustainable and we believe that schools and education needs to uh, lift itself a little bit in terms of its purpose and so yeah I, i'm pretty um overawed by the people on this call today i'm just gonna get my notebook out and start learning so happy to be here well thanks sal and finally john hi everybody my name is john kelly uh, i'm here in mexico city originally from england um i've just opened my own school called colicchio ikigai and the top the mission of our school is to make sure all of our students can find their passion in life. And one of the things that we do promote highly in the school is personalised education. And I think that's a really great jump off point for the discussion today because a lot of what uh, Education 3.0 and technology can do for us today is, is highly personalised learning pathways and experiences in the world. And I think when we do that, we get higher engagement, better motivation from students. Um, but we have to definitely think about how we leave education 1.0 behind. And as my colleagues have mentioned today, I think talking about evaluation is essential. 
talking about different educational models that can really have an impact on the learner are really, really important. Um, and also, I think in personalized education, for me, what really stands out is small class sizes. Um, like your Ikigai has got a cap of 12 students per class, one generation per class. And I think it's the first time I've worked in a small school environment. And when I think about personalized education, that's, that's my first starting point. It's like a small class size. When 12 to 15 is an absolute perfect number to get into project-based learning. Anything more than that is you're starting to struggle. So delighted to be part of the conversation and delighted to share my ideas today. Fantastic. Thanks, John. I think that leads on to the, yeah, the first question, really. Um, so can I open it up to, to, to the floor? Um, so what does personalized learning uh, mean to you? Very broad. Who'd like to, to take that one on first? <laughs> Lucy, do you, want all... to, do you want to do it? You go yeah, first. I, <laughs> I went first in the introduction. Maybe we'll keep the order. Um, I mean, I was thinking about this question and... Um, thinking about a keynote that I saw recently at the IB Global Conference in The Hague, where one of the speakers talked about complex problems needing complex solutions. And I think embracing the idea of complexity means embracing the idea of individualization and diversity. And so for me, personalization in education means that we recognize the value of having a diverse classroom, having a diverse school, having that range of perspectives, both in our students and, and our staff, um, and recognizing the benefit of that and moving away from any kind of rigid systems, one size fits all, you know, education systems that allows children to fall outside of the edges of them because they can't fit the system. So really moving to that idea of we change, they don't change. You know, we need to change things to meet the needs of this, the young people that we have in front of us and uh, uh, allow them to develop the skills that they need to tackle the complex problems that the world that they're going into, you know, requires, the, you know, future adults to be able to solve. So to me, that's the key of personalization, individualization, valuing of diversity, and looking at ways to change a system that does not understand that people are different to one another. Max, can I can I come in on that? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things, that, uh, Lucy, that you, you you talked about was flexibility, and I think that 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 ability for teachers to be flexible in terms in front of their their, their students, or even be being flexible behind their students, is really important and. You know, I'm sure we've between us we've we've done huge amounts of of walkthroughs of lesson observations. We've seen great learning taking place, and the the lessons that really sing out to me are the lessons where you see students really engaged, motivated, actively uh, 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 actively learning about a variety of things. The teacher is very much taking a back seat, but sort of guiding them, and the teacher is able to walk around and meet the needs of individual students whilst making sure the whole class is on a, a general uh, pace forward at individual um, individual paces, I guess. That, that That's the bit that makes sense. And it's that adaptive, that flexible approach that really, really sings to me. So thanks for that, Lucy. Complex craft, isn't it? That adaptive teaching, it's, it's not easy. And We're having really a smaller talking... group. Yeah, sorry, Sal, go. All right, We're talking about like personalising learning, which is funny that we'd have to even rationalize it because learning <laughs> itself is such a personal thing and so there's a whole heap of educators in a space talking about how are we and why should we and personalize schools and learning in schools when the very thing that's happening and is always happening uh, in schools and is, is very personal to each learner to all of us when we're at school and to our students at school every day um, they make it personal if we can help make it personal. Um, and that, that for me, a big part of that is uh, a social emotional aspect uh, and understanding that's important and, and something that schools should be thinking of. It's about thinking, well, moving away from information models and skills and values, uh, bringing those and bringing those to the front of an experience, not just to the side. Um, yeah. That, that you do i'm i'm probably a little bit more interested in how people want to assess formally for those sorts of things because for a long time we've been putting students into a square box of standardized curriculum standardized assessment 
along a little conveyor belt with like exam gateways at the end of each year. Um, now to, to open that up and say, right, uh, do something with your learning, learn more than just information. And then for educators to go, wow, we've got to prove that they're learning. Yeah. I'm interested yeah. to see how we talk about that. Well, one, one um, of the challenges, oh no, you go first, Kira, go on. Like, I, I just, I, I think it's so interesting hearing both of you speak there because like when you read through, you know, the ideas of personalization, it, it just seems like a no brainer, but yet we still <laughs> find ourselves time after time studying what you've just said, Sal, having to justify why it's the best approach. Uh, and 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 then you hit the nail on the head. The reason that we're having to justify it is because at the end of the day, there is a box, there is a very small goal that, that we have to get the, the kids through. Uh, and what's happened over time is we have let that goal define the entire journey and, mm -hmm. instead of instead of realizing that there are multiple journeys to get to that goal and and it doesn't matter what path they take let let it be you know uh, start on one path move to another mix and match whatever that path is and and yet let's not let the end goal define every everything else that, that we do it, it's left that end goal i think leaves teachers and educators nervous uh, and and unwilling to take risks that, that then stop their kids take, taking risks. And, and I do, I, I find I find the whole process so interesting and it's just so wonderful that we're, yeah, I know I've said we're here justifying why it's the best approach, but by us sitting talking, it's breaking down those barriers. It's making other educators who are listening less afraid to, to allow that freedom and allow kids to, to explore alternative pathways. Max, if if I could jump in, um, you know, uh, admittedly, I've been out of the classroom for the the last uh, three uh, years or so, and as I can see from just the the comments, um, you know, the, obviously there are a lot of dimensions uh, to personalized learning, um, but if I were to narrow it down, kind of someone as as someone who's not in the classroom, um, kind of listening to everybody now to maybe two or three like key tenants, I would say, I think there needs to be a clear understanding of the goals of the student. Uh, and that stakeholders really need to get at the core of what students want to achieve besides the, the standard that, that everybody's mentioning. Um, there also needs to be a clear plan of how to get there, right? And this needs to involve the, uh, the teacher and the student. And then um, what a lot of people have alluded to, the accountability mechanism, right? How are the students going to show progress? When are they going to show progress? Uh, and because the way that students are going to show progress may differ from, let's say, traditional grading, this progress needs to be highly visible to everyone, right? Parents, mm -hmm. administrators, students, and teachers. Um, but although there may be some vari variation in how to achieve a certain standard, um, obviously the possibilities that personalized learning offers is, ex is exciting. And I think it puts students at the core of their learning pathway, you know, just giving them more to say. And I think this is more aligned with what happens in the real world, right? Once they get outside the, the safe confines of the classroom. Absolutely. Yeah, John, do you want to add your thoughts there? Hey everyone, my, my photocopier just started as I, I'm here in school today. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with everyone. This is what I would add. I think like we need to focus on why we need to do it first and foremost. Okay? And like focusing on the why is really important. And we have to really like uh, understand that the world is completely changing. Digital transformation is going to give professional work life that's unlike professional work lives before. And we don't need to, I don't think we need to sort of reinvent the wheel in some ways. We know and major sort of major consulting companies have found a lot of information out there about what the workplace will be like past 2030, past 2040. And, you know, what they're all saying is that there's a much more higher focus on um, abilities and competencies uh, in terms of, you know, professional success than there is on content, exam, content, exam. And then when we look at the two paradigms, I think really need to be broken in education. The first one is why isn't the professional world more like the, the school life? Now, there doesn't seem to be a connection for me between activities that we give children in school and the activities that we sort of occupy ourselves with in future life. The second is that, you know, achieving high exam results is no indication of success in life. Um, and this is where the skills gap comes in. You know, the people, you know, our children are going to universities there, you know, they're putting themselves into a lot of debt. 
They're coming out at the end of it and they're struggling to get jobs. Why? Because the company is saying they get the mismatch between the skills. So what we identified in like your ikigai is phenomenon-based learning, which comes over from Finland. And the thing I really liked about it is they say, get rid of the exams. Just get rid of exams. There's many ways you can evaluate uh, children's learning and progress, make it visible. And, and, and I was kind of like, when I first approached it this year, there's the first time I've run a school where there's been no exams. My son's in the school as well. Um, but to watch the sort of freedom that, that actually that liberates them as they realize that actually the way in which we're going to assess their work is as a community, in learning points, in presentations, that they're not going to get given number grades uh, for their work. They're actually going to get you know, qualitative feedback quickly on, on the grades, something that's highly personalized to them. It's just been liberating for the children. So I, I think the, the key question for me in personalized education is like, how do you manage the how do you manage the evaluations? And, and to tackle some of these big ideas, I think the system, which is education 1.0, has been blown away from the pandemic. I think the pandemic has made it completely obsolete, irrelevant to where our future uh, world is going to. And if we connect with the whys and why we want personalized education, I think Sal mentioned it over there in Bali really, really well. It's like, you know, you want to do it because the learning journey is personal to you. And you, what you want is children to discover a passion, a reason to live their lives. And if you discover that passion, in my opinion, that's why you can start to create their life and their career around what they want to do. It's more important, I think, in education to, for children to really connect with who they are in the world, why they're here, what they want, where they want to go and what they want to do. And then we can work around their career options and career paths and, and options choices, not discarding the idea that I don't think university it's for every person. I think, you know, we should be offering ideas to like start accelerator labs and start uh, entrepreneurs and they can start their own businesses and they could become activists. And, you know, there's like, there's not, it's not just it's a conveyor belt where they get to the end of their school in 18 and they have to go to university. I don't think that's the perfect option for them. Uh, and I think what will happen over the course of the, the, this, the end of this decade is that we'll get so many digital tools and so many platforms there's so many ways in which we can offer personalized learning. Like past 2030, you know, personalized learning will be the norm in higher education as well in K-12. But that's sort of my, my thoughts on it. Thanks, John. Gavin, I think you had a... Yeah, I, I was actually just, just going to come on on that point, John, because I completely agree <clears throat> uh, about the, the, this whole um, issue of, of, of universities. Um, uh, my background is secondary education. So in, in some ways, in international schools, we we see universities as some stage uh, for, for students to head along. And, and the vast majority of my experience, the vast majority of international school parents absolutely want their children to go to university. Uh, most of them will not want their children to, to have a gap year. Um, and I think there's a degree of mythology around the the, the benefits of university um, uh, for, for students to go to university, for some students to go to university. It's a great, great thing. But there are so many benefits to, to not going to university and going into the world of work or even spending that year abroad and doing some, some um, service learning. But even if the students who are heading to university, we've got a very, very narrow way of working out whether a child is right for a university. And essentially that's driven around exam results. And it seems such a shame that students have to prove themselves through exam results to get into a university when we know that lots of students who get great exam results drop out from university because they don't have the broader skills to be successful. So my my adage when I when I speak with 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 families, prospective families, existing families, is our aim as a school is not to get students into university. It's to get students out of university, living happy, healthy, successful lives. That's what education, I think, is really all about. And and I think all of this discussion is is heading towards um, happy, healthy, successful lives. That's that's what we're all after. I've got a great gap year story. It turned into a gap decade, um, and, and we highly promote we highly promote that as well. Yeah, are, are you still on your gap decade? So yeah, I was going to say, no, no. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a different yeah, it's a different sort of gap. Mind the gap over here in Bali for sure. Yeah. Excellent. I suppose talking about the future and all of this personalized learning, aren't we talking about sort of really school just being a part 
we know the workforce is going to be really um, defined. It's going to be defined by a person's ability to learn, uh, learnability. It's that's going to define the future generations. And then you you define uh, school in terms of an impersonalized school. If we want to look at the opposite and a bad idea factory on it, um, we're really going going the wrong way, aren't we? If we if we want to put our, our children through school, almost secondary, but we're, we've got a, a whole school here. So right through from three-year-old to 18-year-old at that stage. And if we're going to put them through a, a, a cookie cutter machine, um, yeah, we've been doing that too long. And so it's not an option for us. <laughs> yeah. And, and just sort of now, now sort of narrow you down there, looking at some of the, um, you know, the great work that you've each been doing in your own educational settings um, around the specific strategies and initiatives that, that you've tried and implemented. Um, it'd be great to hear um, to, to some of those pieces around um, how you've tried to create a more personalized learning journey in your own, in your own contexts. Um, if you'd like to, John, do you want to, to kick that one off? You like Max? I'd, I'd, I'd like to share something there. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear the photocopy? Photo, eh? It's schools. It's like such yeah. a distraction to doing other things like kids learning. <laughs> um, so, um, so I'd like to share that, you know, like this year, particularly this year, because I've had complete freedom for the first time in my, in my career to, to put into my school whatever programs I like. I pick the programs that I like the most. So that was really interesting. And I started working with a company over in Australia called Edu Metaverse uh, with a guy called Andrew Wright. And we sort of paired up, we started developing something that we're calling eco-based learning systems. And it's been amazing. I really, it's been, it's been a hard learning curve, but what we're doing is we're putting um, a lot of our students in Metaverse environments using a hybrid 3.0 methodology, uh, which is allowing us to like do project-based learning in, in schools, both in Metaverse worlds and inside of um, and the effects have been absolutely amazing. I can't, I can't speak highly enough of how motivated our students are in the primary school age group, that's, that's where we go to, to learn in metaverse uh, worlds. What we do is we sort of embed the activities inside these worlds. Each world sort of has portals to new worlds that we've discovered. We've designed sort of like adventurous narratives around these journeys. Um, and it's been the best way that I could say that, you know, we've, best example that we've got in our school of personalized learning environments and i think when we look at higher education there's um there's a there's a university that's about to open in mexico and their idea behind that behind that uh, their, their idea behind this new university is when a a, um, a candidate they call them comes to the school there's no end there's no barrier of entry to get into the university you can start in any any type of career that you want so you start in psychology uh, or you can start in philosophy, you start in education, engineering, anywhere. But as you go in, they use micro-credentials. And every six weeks, uh, every six weeks, you, you you finish that unit and the sort of algorithm behind the university sort of gives you three or four different pathways that you can go on. And the idea is that eventually, like a, a candidate can come in into the university, start in psychology and finish in medicine, or a person can come in medicine and finish up in, uh, you know, aviation or something like that. That's the idea of like, this eco-based learning system. Say like like my my son is eleven years old, and I've already identified that my son will not go to university. He's just not ready. Like he is part of this Fortnite generation. They think differently, have different spatial awareness, different abilities, and I'm not going to force him to go to university unless he wants to. You know, but what I can see inside Colicio Ikea that's working really well is when the students are sort of like layering digital ability to like express themselves in the environments they want to be in through these metaverse worlds infused with ai and infused with all of this beauty of the of web 3.0 you know the, the the engagement to learn is through the roof i had a group of students i'm teaching history in grade five this year and a group of students that stayed behind after school to do my history class they didn't want to miss their metaverse learning experience i had to phone up their parents and say look uh, you're not going to believe this but your kid wants to stay behind and take my history class because we missed it. It's a metaverse, etc. Engagement is king for me in those types of areas. And if you've not looked at this type of work, this metaverse learning, eco-based learning systems, it's amazing. You should really think. Wow, that's incredible. That's um, yeah, pretty pretty inspiring. This um, 
do, to, to do that, just touching on that, uh, John, a little bit, how, how, how might a school, you know, if, if they want to try this with their, with their classroom, how, how, where, where would you advise they start? Just, uh, just a couple, couple of quick points around that, I suppose. A little bit more complicated than, than just doing it. Yeah, I think I think get the methodology right, infuse your team, find out the high the people inside your school who would really like run with that project inside inside the environment. Get in touch with Andrew Wright over at Edinburgh. He's got lots and lots of really good ideas. Partner up, find these spaces. You know, go slow, test it out, see how it works, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like the advantages of using this this hybrid methodology, where where students do part of their class inside the classroom. But then they jump into their sort of digital world inside the same classroom to do their exploration, experimentation, investigation, and then come back into the classroom. This methodology for me is working really, really well. Of course, they're so motivated by the narratives and the, the idea of being in these different worlds. You know, it, it, it's, it's really valuable. I think just identify who could do it in your school first. You. And then put a plan together and, and talk to people and you know get out onto Twitter and you know and LinkedIn and find find ideas out there because they're they're all there at the moment. Brilliant. Thanks, John. Sal, Lucy, Kiara, Kevin, how about yourselves? I'm thinking about um the universal design for learning model, which some of you will be familiar with, and it has three pillars around um it's kind of a differentiation model. And it talks about multiple means of representation as one way to personalize learning for students. It talks about multiple means of action and expression, but it also talks about multiple means of engagement. And what I was hearing when I listened to John is that he's found a way to deeply engage the students in their learning. And even if we don't have the same resources to put them into a metaverse, which sounds incredible, it is important for us to consider how to engage students. I, I feel like, you know, um, Sal touched on this as well, talking about teaching to the heart. You know, if the students are not engaged, shifting the way what we're delivering and how we deliver it to engage them is is a, is a really important way to start to personalise learning. You know, I've, I remember in the past, maybe a teacher told me someone fell asleep in their class and they wanted me to be angry with the kid. But actually, I was like, why is your lesson so boring that they've fallen asleep? Um, so having students engaged uh, and, try, you know, finding simpler ways to do that. We have a, a, a maths unit going on at the moment that's about city design. And one of our students is really uh, connected to virtual reality. So he's managed to put his city design into his VR goggles and he's going to demonstrate his city through them. Not all of the students can do that, but making space for him to share his work in the with the technology that he's able to access. To me, that's the idea of personalization. And then my dream is to get to where to where John is because it really does sound so exciting. Um, can I jump on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'll be very quick. Uh, yeah, just to jump on that as well, like you've hit the nail on the head just increasing student engagement that that is what it's all about if you're achieving that everything else falls into place uh, and I think for me the, the best way of doing that is giving the students options if, if if they are given as many options as possible um those options could be you know pre-decided by you or it could be completely open but given the, the students' options, allowing them to decide small things like, am I going to submit this assessment via a video or a lab report or completely blown it up? How am I going to approach this whole topic? Giving them those options, giving them the freedom to make decisions for, for themselves, that just increases student engagement so much. And that, for me, is a thing that has been lacking so much. The, those, those choices are, are, are taken away from them. It's something that's happening to them rather than some, something that, that they're involved in. And I think that could be something that could be so easily changed. Um, You know, ju just giving them a, a number of options really easily change and, and would just very quickly increase student engagement. Brilliant. I, probably should have, yeah. I probably shouldn't have jumped in there because I was just going to talk about personalising that lesson, learning journey like that. But then maybe I could even go back a step and and think about, you know, um, it not being a big thing to to add 
some sort of outcomes to learning experiences where you know educators are creative um creative people teachers are uh, putting on putting on a show every day a show of learning a, a magic learning you know um but to to add outcomes or pro- just provide opportunities in the simplest way provide opportunities for students to do something with their learning now and that's something can mean something to that learner, whether it's a three-year-old or an 18-year-old. It can be a personal outcome uh, or or it can be collective as well. And so then then I think, you know, the how is more like, which we do a lot at Green School because a lot of those opportunities, we educate for a sustainable future, not about the world or about sustainability, but for it. And so if you're providing opportunities for students to do something with their learning now rather than just that standard information assessment. And you go, right, well, let's integrate things. Let's uh, let's teach more thematically. Let's connect all of these learning pieces because that allows a, a learner to personalise it as well. Um, let's bring in art and music and science and literature all together because you are, you can actually create an experience for 20 kids in a room um, with those opportunities to, to when you integrate because you're providing opportunities for students to personalize it themselves and then you've got you know I talked about skills and values I think that's very very important but the project-based ideas and one thing we probably haven't talked about which is an easy switch to flick is talking about like you know a, a relook at a, pedag- a pedagogy and that was really important to us at Green School in terms of practical if you want to flip a model of this school um, look at your pedagogy and and redefine that, and and ours is based on relationships, uh, experiential learning that is authentic and local to global. It's real learning, but it's first that that relationship point that's so foundational to it. And I'll go back to where we started, almost of building a relationship with learners, building a relationship about learning, building a relationship between the real world. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, pedagogicals. Uh, it, the pedagogy idea is, is really important for schools to go right. If we want to start doing things differently in a quick way, let's look at our pedagogy. How are we creating learning experiences? Not just what, you know, not just what we're teaching, but how. That's how you personalize it too. Um, can I can I come in on that? Because I think that um, I agree completely with 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 everything that's been said uh, so far. I think. One of the challenges for education, uh, government education systems, international education around the world is is, is an aspect of being brave. Um, <clears throat> I'm in a, a, a really fascinating situation where we're starting up a school. So I'm having to sell a dream. I'm selling a dream to parents. I'm selling a dream to students. And I'm selling a dream to staff as well. Um, and the thing that's really perhaps... I, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but the thing that has surprised me a little bit is the number of staff that I, I, I'm interviewing right now who are dead set sold. We've got five values. We've got three principles. The curriculum that we're offering has, we, we're, we're not being as brave as perhaps we could be because we, we, we need some solidity to a school that doesn't yet exist. And yet we, we're finding staff are flocking to us because they love the pedagogy that we are selling on paper. And the the parents are also uh, are coming to us because they absolutely believe that exams, they understand that the academics are important. We all understand that the academics are important uh, to a degree. But what we're selling is a package that's not just the academics and it's not holistic, um, uh, loose uh, unclear stuff. There's a, there's a lovely hybrid that, that we're putting out there that parents are really, really buying into. So I guess the message that I want to send to the the, the hundreds of thousands of viewers of this video over the next couple of weeks, uh, well, I, I hope, hope not, <laughs> um, is, is just, just, yeah, try and be brave because I think there is absolutely a market out there for schools who are saying, do you know what, in light of the pandemic, in light of um, where we see students, where we see our parents, where we see our staff, we think there's a market that absolutely needs, because remember, we can't do any of this without parent buy-in. Parents are ultimately, they've got to have that that belief in, in what we're offering. But I, I truly believe that there is absolutely a, a, a large body of parents that's growing that believes that a, a slightly alternative 
non-exam based education is absolutely the way to go we've got a lot of um uh digital entrepreneurs here in lisbon and they're coming to us saying what you offer as a school is what we want our children to grow up with we want them to have those skills of curiosity of uh, energy of connection of communication of of clarity of, of problem solving we don't want students who can prove my subject is chemistry who can prove they can get a nine at igcse chemistry that's not just what it's about it's partly but it's not just what it's about so be brave that would be my message yeah, fantastic. That's that's so interesting to to sort of touch on that topic as well of sort of moving away from just purely exam exam based. And what I mean, what what are some of the practical steps? Just thinking thinking aloud here, what are some of the potential small incremental improvements that you could make or, or changes that you could make in in a in a traditional setup um, that could move more towards that way of I suppose assessing and and it being a bit more um, varied. I suppose that it's just focused on exams. Can I can I just remind people of something that Brian said at the start? Um, I'm paraphrasing here, but you said if you um are providing a purely personalized um way of um learners accessing things, you need to make success incredibly visible. And I think I, I think that is a beautiful way to, to summarize it because at the moment we see one way of making that success visible and there are so many other ways and, and touching on what Gavin said, there is an element of bravery, but, but showing success in other formats is completely possible. We just need to be brave and, and also it is it is a much more difficult route to take. It is it, the easier route is to go down the uh grade nine in chemistry that's the easiest route to to actually show what a, a chemistry student a successful chemistry student is is a lot more difficult but but it, it is possible and and just it needs to be very visible and what, what you said Gavin to parents as well we we can make it visible to parents that 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 is our jobs is giving them opportunities to be successful and for that that to be evident to universities, evident to parents, evident to their peers. So I'm just hearing lots of things that other people are saying, and it's all coming together for me in, in a, this wonderful picture. 30 second add on to what you said there, Kira. I, I don't think it's about making it visible. I think it's about making it valued by those groups. That's that's really important. I think it's it, it's easy to make it's easy to get parents in. It's easy to get uh, students to see different opportunities for for displaying their learning. But we need to be clear in terms of of, of making a presentation as valuable uh, an indicator of where a student is in their learning journey. That for me is important. Yeah, I I, I think about. Um unconscious messaging in schools you know we show what we value and the students absorb what we value and there was one one school I worked in and in the entrance to the school we had a board that had the university acceptances for that year and I thought about all those students that walked past that board every day that didn't want to go to university you know how did that feel when they wanted to make a different choice, it would be even harder for them to choose a different pathway because they saw what we thought was important. So again, I think easy shifts, like Sal was saying, the how. And for me, it's go back to the core. This is about learning. We want children to learn things. Don't let exams and content and curriculum get in the way and obfuscate what's happening. Are they learning something? That's the question I keep saying to my teachers. Uh, have they learned what you thought they were going to learn and how do you know that's all mm. it's as simple as that in a way and if they haven't what are you going to do differently to try and make sure that they have because I think we can get lost and forget and I loved listening to Sal talk because he said the word learning about 500 times so I knew that it was like so core to what you do not 500 <laughs> I'm so dramatic but you know 50 maybe <laughs> So go back to the learning. It's all about learning. That's what we do. That's our core business. And, and we get we it gets hidden. It gets hidden by other things. You know, especially if you want to like really sort of expand the model of what a school is to more than just learning inside classrooms with students and teachers. And I'd like to think that we could think of like really almost big picture and go, well, what about, you know, the greater community that a school exists in and the learning that that community can have? 
the impact that can have. Because we, uh, we, I know we're all talking about personalised learning so that it's not still that, that learning happens in individual personalised bubbles. That's not the point of it. It's to be able to enrich that learning so that it does connect learners um, and build relationships. Um, practical, I mean, that's big picture practical. I think you just need to um, a little bit very much be brave. But uh, one thing that's worked, here's a really good one that's worked for us, especially upper primary and above is asking students to reflect on their own learning. Um, and and I was part of a middle school team that brought that into middle school reporting. It, it sounded like a crazy idea, like, you know, sitting around a room, bunch of teachers, this reporting, who loves who loves writing reports, everyone? Yeah, no one, everyone's, you know, hands down. Um, why don't we get the students to write their own reports? And in the process, teach them how to reflect on their learning uh, which is a, a pretty awesome human skill in itself. Um, give them guidance at, at different ages, give them a structure and, and a framework to reflect. And then as they get older, they do become people that look at their own personal learning experience and can define and express what they've learned and what it's meant to them, how they connect their learning to other parts of their life, um, how they struggled, uh, what skills they used, what values were important to overcome challenges. Real reflective uh, assessment of personalised self-assessment is as valuable as you can do in a school. And I'd say every school should just start thinking about that in terms of a part of their reporting and assessment because they're old enough to tell you, especially in high school, what they learned and how they're going to use it. And, and that's as, as good evidence as, as you get. Because um, I pass a lot of tests, but I don't know if I learnt much. Mm. Yeah. Any any other final final thoughts on that uh, before we move on to our, our last question? Actually, any other final? All good. Cool. Well, that does lead to my my my, my final question. So, sort of looking looking forwards um, into the future around personalised learning, and and that obviously does look like that's the trend and where, where things are headed to a more personalized learning environment for students at schools. Um, and how, how might this relate to um, assessment as well? So personalizing assessment we've already touched on, but if we can just sort of maybe look at that in a bit further depth um, around what the future of personalized learning or what the future of learning looks like in, in schools around the world and how assessment can be more personalized too um, to make a more personalized learning journey from end to end. I'm sorry, I'll jump in. My my big uh, kind of, I don't know, light bulb moment is I'd like people to think, consider that so many assessment systems are designed because we want to try and have objectivity and we design exams and things because we think that's going to give us some kind of objective evaluation of a, of a learner. And, you know, the core is it's not objective, it's subjective. There are so many different elements impacting on even a multiple choice, you know, bubble test that aren't accounted for. That I think if we could let go of the idea of objectivity and evaluation and recognize that it is founded in subjectivity and that's okay. And actually we need to utilize that to really understand progress and learning that's happening in schools. That's how assessment will shift. Um, the idea that you give this idea of equity comes from distribution and equitable distribution means an equitable system. So everyone gets the same exam paper in the same amount of time. So therefore it's a fair test. You know, let's get rid of that idea because that isn't fair. It's absolutely the opposite of it. So I think for me, in, in terms of assessment, it's that you cannot objectively assess a young person, one human to another. You can, And let's stop trying to build systems that do that and build systems that subjectively look at what people are learning i just talked a lot about assessment didn't i pre-answer the question yeah <laughs> um, john or gavin or yeah um, lucy I'll... can i just sorry. ask sorry lucy can i just ask how far away do you feel that we are from making that shift i think we touched on it at the start the the, the change i think comes in universities. I think if the universities shift, it will shift. But my hope now is things like chat GTP and the changes in technology, actually technology might be the thing that shifts it. You, you know, 
because as technology grows, we can't have the same kind of assessment systems that we had before. And th that leads perfectly to John, because I'm sure he has some thoughts on that. Yeah, I've got loads of thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the only thing I think about is 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 how you know Web three point is going to transform education. It is the thing that will will propel us into the next decade, a more equitable system. You know, I think high stakes testing needs to grow. It's it's it's, like, it's past its due date. There's no way you can, there's no way it's just so completely unfair to say to a, a person who has sort of a learning a learning um a learning additional learning need like dyslexia or dyspraxia or dyscalculia that the only way that you can be successful in life is to go to university through a high stakes testing portfolio it's is it just it's contradictory of, of what we're trying to do here in education the thing i i really love with this transition to web3 is things like you know like for example we're looking at like how you would how would you create a lifelong portfolio of work and click your wiki. If you were a student that came in at age three and left at age 18, you will have done a sequence of different phenomenon-based learning projects through your journey with us. How is it that you could really collect all of that information together and all of that richness in, in your personalized learning journey? So you could present that at age 18 to the university that you would want to go to, and it could help you in that journey sort of discover, you know, where you want to be in life. I think, you know, I think it has to, you know, any conversation about this has to, has to start of like what is defining what is success in life in the first place, because I think that's subjective, objective, you know, I think we need to get rid of this idea that you know, being successful means that you, you, you go on to conveyor belt, you leave university at age 23, you work for a top consulting company, you find this perfect, you know, it's like, life's not like that at all, it's actually, it's much, much different. Um, but what I would love to do is explore ideas around things like NFTs, or, you know, you could maybe like the NFTs that could, could track this data, this personal learning journey and give your students like these micro credentials as you went through, uh, went through the personalized learning journey. And I think a lot of that is, 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 is possible today, right now with, with technology. So I think we are very, 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 very close to seeing these transitions in, in, in life. Um, I think 2030 is the date that I'm really got in my mind. I think past in that next decade, I think that's when you'll see like a whole huge explosion. Um, but I think technology has got many, many ways in which you can actually give a solution to, to these these fundamental problems. The most fundamental problem being high stakes testing is completely unfair. Brian, you've uh, raised your hand there, Johnson. Jump in. Uh, yes. Um, first off, thank you uh, for everybody for uh, your insights. I think I'm getting a bit of a neck, cr uh, neck cramp because I'm like nodding my head uh, so much, but it's been great, especially for someone who hasn't been in uh, you know, the classroom uh, in a while. But um, to, to answer uh, the question, I guess overall, I'm optimistic. I think you know, personalized learning does hold a lot of potential for students. And you know, just listening to all the examples today has really got me excited to think about you know, what the future holds. Um, I do think there is a lot to work out in terms of the details, for example, like what flexibility looks like in terms of time and space and implementation and you know, the final grading and that sort of thing. Um, but with respect to assessment, I think assessment will be more uh, iterative, right? I think mistakes will be more built into the process and that students' advancement in a particular subject uh, will be based more on, I guess, demonstrated mastery uh, through regular checks uh, in many different ways. Um, I hope what this means too is that when it translates down to the students that um, students will be able to consume material more critically, right? That they're not just necessarily relying on a vetted textbook uh, anymore. They'll ask key questions more frequently um, because this is what they'll need to do, right? When they get out into the real world. And uh, as someone now who's in in-tech, uh, ed-tech rather, what excites me I think is that um, students will be the drivers behind educational design. Uh, in the future and that new products will be optimized to empower student uh, choice and hopefully that students will have more say in what edtech products are available to both them and their schools. Fantastic, thanks Brian. Any other final thoughts before we, uh, before we wrap up? Um, leave you with a question, what about like assessment in the future when you consider that failure has to be one of those success criteria? Put your mind around that. So embracing failure, essentially, right? And uh, you, you leave little... the big question to last, Sal. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it with that. Other... I'm out of here. <laughs> it's, okay, I, mean, it's... I strongly agree, Sal. Yeah, you can only learn if you fail, right? Only learn uh, yeah. if you fail. That's the only way. 
there anyway. Oh, it's, it's not an easy concept to think about assessment of the future when you throw failure into the success criteria mix, for sure. But it's an opportunity, though, for us, isn't it? Rather, with educators looking at changing education, it's a challenge, but it's mo- I see it as an opportunity. And, and rather than see education as something that we need to change, yeah, that's true. But when we change it, the impact that we'll have on a future is enormous. So that change is, is a lever. It's I see education as a, like a regenerative tool, not a problem to be solved, but a problem. Uh, it's a solution. It's a solution to so many of our problems. And so that's really exciting, I think, yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, I, I, I would just like to, to, to say, you know, that, 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 that failure, I think language is important. And I think that how we sell the concept of failure to students, to colleagues, to school boards, uh, to parents is really important as well. And it's it's not about failing at all. It's it's part of a learning journey. I think that's really, really important. It's an intrinsic part. Um, and I just go back to my earlier point. You know, we all need to be brave. We need to be nudging our curriculum forward. We need to be nudging our assessment strategies forward. We need to be nudging our colleagues forward. We need to, as school leaders, we need to be prepared to be nudged by our colleagues, by our, by our staff and by our students and, and, and really deeply look at what works and filter out what we think doesn't work. Look at the data, look at the research and follow through on that. I think that international schools are so, so lucky because in many ways we don't have to follow prescribed government systems. We've got a lot of flexibility here to do to a degree what we like. We still have a, a market that we need to to, uh, to I was going to say submit to 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 work alongside. Um, yeah. we, we are it, it, we are in a really really powerful position to make a difference and lead the ground. So so let's hold hands and do that together. I think is is really important. Brilliant. Thank you so much, guys. That's been uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, hugely appreciate all of your time, and uh, it's such a great start to the conversation. And uh, yeah, maybe looking forward to doing a part two. It's such a such a ma- major topic to to start start diving down into, but it's, it's certainly the future, isn't it? A more personalized learning um, scheme for students. So yeah, thank you all for your for your hugely valuable insights and time. Appreciate it.